0: Amen. Thank you, Justin and Nate and Lauren. What a wealth of musicians we have in this church. I said it before, but I love being a pastor in Nashville because the musicians we have around here. uh, Justin's, uh, what are you, associate dean at USN High School? Is that your title? And just can shred the guitar. I just, well, how beautiful uh, at Christmas time, I think about the story of Silent Night, you know, the story that the, uh, the organ went out on the, the old church and the, the old uh, rector of the church there, I think it was in Germany, got out his guitar and led his new song, Stille Nacht. I, I'm sure Marcus will tell me how to pronounce that later. Uh, but uh, just a beautiful, humble instrument befitting the birth of Christ, who was born in a humble way this season. Uh, Thankful to all of our musicians last week, too. What a boon to my spirit last week's music was, so thank you to everyone who worked so hard uh, to pull that off. We're blessed to have a full-time communications director, too, Andy Morris, who made Rachel jump in the Bible and jump from story to story, too, so well done, Andy. Uh, That was awesome. And Rachel, well done. Very memorable. Going to make uh, those stories come alive. I wanna remind you too that our Christmas offering this year, again, uh, Lottie Moon and CBF Global Missions offerings, 100% of these funds go directly to world missions. It really is a a, a crucial part of the funding for our missions efforts around the world. As you know, our mission as Christians, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The gospel, the good news that we have is for all peoples as we've seen uh, in in the, the prophecies about the Messiah coming. This year, the missions team set a goal of $40,000, which is a stretch goal for a couple of reasons. One, that's that's more, that's more 3,000 more than we gave last year. And last year, we weren't in a pandemic. This year, uh, we're in extenuating circumstances, and we think we can uh, give more. And here's where we already are, only uh, three weeks into Advent. We're already at $28,200, which is amazing. So please continue to uh, consider how you can support missions around the world. And, and we're not just, you know, spreading good news. We're, we're going into all the earth and setting up schools and literacy centers and hospitals, and we're funding uh, bringing shalom, hope, and healing to all the nations. And the best thing we can do as part of that is to, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those who haven't heard it. Today, we're gonna continue talking about the idea of good news and this Advent theme of, in a world full of bad news, you've all received your share of bad news. Rachel had to cancel her trip to Africa that she'd been planning for uh, over a year to go back to Madagascar, and she had to cut it off because of uh, this pandemic. But in a world full of bad news, the reality is that as Christians, we have good news. And the first week of Advent, we talked about how we have to hear it and how the angels appeared in the skies over Bethlehem and told the shepherds, behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. Euangelizomai, they said in Greek, it means I bring you good news. The today that there's been born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, That is good news. We need to hear that and receive it. And then last week, our choir and musicians all reminded us that that good news is not for us to hoard to ourselves, but it is meant to be shared with others, to go and tell it that Jesus Christ is born. And then this week, we're going to dive into one of the main themes of Advent, which is about waiting. We're going to talk about waiting for good news I know if you're like me, this year you've been waiting to receive some good news because we've received plenty of bad news. And we talked about, yes, you know, we do have this good news, but in the first week when we talked about the gospel, I mentioned that, yes, we we do have this amazing truth that Jesus Christ has come and everything has changed because Jesus lived among us and he gave us words of life in his teaching, revolutionary teaching. And then he healed the sick and the blind and the lame. And then he died in our space. He took our sin and shame upon himself, and then he didn't stay dead, but he rose again on the third day. And since that resurrection, a new era has begun. A new time has been inaugurated. Everything has changed, but we still have aging bodies. Jude and I wrapped some lights around those angels yesterday, Calvin, and and my back hurts. (laughs) I'm almost 40. Some of you say 40. Wait till you hit 80. Some of you say, wait till you hit 100. Uh, Dot White turned 101 a couple weeks ago, and Alberta's coming up in February. She'll be 101 as well. People say in this church, oh, I'm old. I'm, you know, 75. I say, that's nothing. You don't know Woodmont very well, apparently. (laughs) But some of you realize that we live in this fallen world. We still have this tension of people who uh, are, are, are falling apart. Ed, you make a living off of fixing shoulders. You know, <laughs> people are falling apart. People are dealing with uh, unemployment. People are dealing with an injustice on an unprecedented level. People are, are, are dealing with loss of income, with loss of housing. We live in a fallen world. So we live in this time that the theologians call the now, but not yet. Now everything has changed. We get to live on this side of the cross, but we also have this tension of broken families, broken healthcare systems, broken uh, economic systems, broken political structures, even broken ecclesiological structures. That means our churches aren't perfect. If you find the perfect church, let me know. I want to go there. But um, until that time, we live in this weird time. But... The good news has not been fully realized yet. You know, God's great plan to rescue and redeem this fallen world is not over. But the most dramatic step that he took in that plan was to send his only son. All things are not yet made new. But the good news, the gospel, is that this is all going somewhere. That God's not wasting any pain but that he has a plan and that this, the broken aspects of our world are not the way things have to be. They're not the way things should be. And one day, that's not the way things will be once everything has changed and been made new again. So one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible that describes this good news in the context of God's Plan in the context of his timing is Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. I know it's not a a typical Advent text, but I think you'll see it's a perfect Advent text this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able to, in honor of God's word this morning as we read our text from Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through 4, 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters." And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, uh, every year, I'm not sure where I got this idea, but on New Year's Day, I like to write down the, the fruits of the spirit. All nine fruits, just list them in order, and then give myself kind of a self-evaluation of how have I grown or, or regressed in each of those nine areas over the past year. It's kind of a spiritual self-inventory, right? Am I growing in love? Am I growing in joy and peace and patience and kindness? All those things. And you know what I find inevitably every year is that Uh, You know, things like love and joy. Like, I'm pretty good at those things. I like doing those things. But what I'm finding too is that there's other fruits that, man, I really come up short in. Why why does gentleness have to be a fruit of the Spirit? I'm not very gentle. Why does self-control have to be a fruit of the Spirit? Man, I struggle with that one. But the worst of all, every year, inevitably for me, is patience. Evan rode with me to to lunch the other day. We wore masks the whole time, but uh, not when we ate, but in the car. And uh, I was yelling at traffic. And I was like, I'm gonna use this as an illustration on Sunday. This is perfect. I struggled to be patient. You know, to get to Woodmont from my house, I have to go up uh, Hillsborough Road between Harding and Woodmont Boulevard. It's about two miles. It takes me on average, I, I checked it, about 10 minutes to do that stretch. Just... That that stretch alone, two miles, 10 minutes. If you do the math on that, I'm not a math guy, but I think that's an average of 10 miles an hour, which means that Aaron could probably jog from Harding and get here before I could get here in my car. And yes, I know there are back roads, but they take a long time too, and they're all full of traffic as well. Granny White and Woodmont is all a disaster as well. I'm learning that that time in the car on my commute 20 minutes just on that stretch of road going there and back is kind of a spiritual workout for me. It's just an opportunity for God to grow me in his grace and to teach me to be patient. I'm working on it. It's not easy, but it's good. And here we have a passage about waiting. I think it's a perfect Advent text that tells us how to wait. How do we wait in the now, but not yet? The passage starts out in in chapter three, verse 23, describing what life in this world was like before faith came. And what Paul's referring to here is the time before God's people could put our faith into a savior, into the Messiah. And then if you look at the next verse, this talks about how the, before the new covenant era of grace given through faith, that before then God's people were slaves. Life subjug, subjugated to the law is oppression. It's slavery. It's a life lived in chains. But then verse 25 says, now that faith has come, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under that oppression. Everything's changed because of the good news of the advent of Jesus Christ. We're now the new covenant children of God, heirs of the promise given to Abraham long ago that he would be part of this great family of God, a holy people set apart for God's own treasure and possession in order to play our part in God's good purposes for the world. But then in chapter four, Paul says, you're not there yet though. He tells us that heirs are are great. To be an heir is a great thing. But if the heir is still a child, they might as well be a slave. What's the the good in being an heir if you're just a child? You don't have any of the privileges. You don't have any of the rights. You don't have any of the obligations of a full-grown heir. You know, there's a good reason that Morgan and I don't let Jude drive our cars. (laughs) He's 11. (laughs) He doesn't get to choose what he eats for dinner. We've said it before, and I'm sure we'll say it many, many, many more times before he's out of the house. As long as you live under our roof, you're a child. You don't get to pick what goes on because you're a child. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. As long as you're a child, then you won't really experience the good news as it's meant to be revolutionary, changing you into a full-grown heir of the promise. Look at verse one. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. You know, there's a lot of rich babies out there that have more money than me, but they can't spend it. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. It's about timing until the date appointed by his wise father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What does that mean to be under the elementary principles of the world? Before coming to faith in Christ, we were enslaved to the obvious things of the world, like elementary school. Do good and you'll be okay. Do bad and you'll be punished severely. That's what's told to slaves, isn't it? Do good and you'll be okay. Do bad and you'll be punished. Where's the hope in that? There's no room for grace in in that kind of thinking, in that elementary principle. There's no chance of rising above our own feeble ability to be good in and of ourselves. It's hopeless. Being under the law only shows us how far short we've actually fallen of God's standard of holiness and perfection. Even on our best days, we are woefully short. That's the bad news. But we have good news. Look at verse 4. But When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, when the time had fully arrived, as some translations say. You know, Shakespeare probably had this phrase in mind when he coined the phrase, when the time was ripe. Anybody garden? I know some gardeners, I see Nan Teeter out there, some of you gardeners, you know when the time is ripe, when the fullness of that fruit is just perfect to take it off the vine. You know, I'm not very good at golf, but I love to play it I enjoy playing it. We do an annual uh, Donnie Sherman Memorial golf trip here with about 16 guys. I see some of y'all here that have been on that trip. And one generous um, church member took pity after watching me play golf and said, I'm gonna pay for you to get some lessons. And that was really sweet, I appreciate it. I I really, I said, great. And I, I took my lessons and the instructor told me, a golf swing is a race where every part of your body, your knees and your hips and your torso and your shoulders and your arms and your hands all have to arrive at the same point at the same time precisely. Timing is everything on a golf swing. I thought that was a really interesting and sad definition of a golf swing because if I'm supposed to get everything to get there at the same time, I'm hopeless. Still working on it, still a work in progress. The timing is everything. If it's off, if one part of your body's off, if your hands or your elbows or your shoulders or your hips you get off by just a fraction, you're gonna send the ball you know, spiraling into the other fairway. Not that I've ever done that before, but it can happen, I hear. When the Apostle Paul says that God sent forth his son at just the right time, the fullness of time, he meant that God sent his son at the perfect point in history, at the appointed time in the plan of God's salvation history, of the story of everything ever. And God's timing was perfect. He knew just when to break into our world and bring hope and healing for all the nations. And what was this long-awaited son of God like? What, how did he come? Was he a spirit floating around the earth, you know, inhabiting people or rocks and plants and animals? Is that the kind of God that he was? No, God's son came as a human being. He put on flesh. He wasn't some apparition, some ghost-like phantom who never bothered himself with the filthy material things of this world. That's what the docetists and the marcionists believe. Those of you who've studied church history may know that those were some of the earliest heresies. that that developed within the church because these people could not fathom, they couldn't accept the fact that the high and holy God of all creation would stoop to our level. That he really would be a baby in a manger was unfathomable to these people. They couldn't process it. So they said he must have been a ghost who appeared to be human. How could the high and holy God subject himself not only to the shame of being born in a stable, but how could he subject himself to being nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers and lifted up from the earth? How could God go through that? We see clearly though in this passage, Jesus Christ was born of a woman. The Virgin Mary was the Christ bearer, the Theotokos as she's called in Greek. She was the means by which God would put on flesh. Yes, his conception was indeed miraculous, but his birth was very plain and very ordinary. A dirty manger, soiled swaddling cloths. Those of you who've had a baby, you know how to swaddle that kid up. I learned the nurse showed me the first time we had a baby how to swaddle that kid. And the smell of animals all around. That's how our God chose to enter into our world. And not only was God born as a man, but he was born as a Jewish man under the law. He was raised in a home where the Torah was read, where the Sabbath was observed every Saturday, where the the feast celebrations of Passover and Yom Kippur and, and Purim, all these festivals were observed, and he grew up in that way. He was subject to all 613 commandments that the rabbis had identified within the Hebrew scriptures, and yet he broke none of them. He alone was the only human to walk this earth and perfectly keep God's words. He was under the law, but he was not under sin. And then in verse 5, we see why Jesus was born under the law. Verse 5 says he was born that way to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. And the word for sons there, huioi, in Greek, it means children, sons and daughters. It applies to all of us. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son You see the the Trinity revealed here, don't you? God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. Into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a full-grown child of God, an adult child of God. And if a child, if an adult child, then an heir through God. You know, in in Roman times, adoption was a a very known practice. And usually it was some uh, adult child, you know how, uh, Caesar, right, Caesar uh, adopted, Julius Caesar adopted Octavius as a, as a grown man. He was his great nephew, but he adopted him as his son who became Caesar Augustus, who issued a decree that we talk about that everyone should be taxed. You see how it all works together, don't you? The Son of God became a human being and was put under the law in order to redeem us to redeem those who were condemned by the law so that they could eventually become adopted into his own family. What a beautiful, beautiful news, right? Good, good news that we could become part of God's family because of how Jesus was born. So just to recap this beautiful passage, this beautiful Advent message in Galatians, let me give you three points, okay? We're talking about how God sent his son. In what way did he send him? Well, he sent him first at the perfect time. He sent him at just the right time, when the time had fully come. Do you ever feel like God's not paying attention to what's going on in your life? Do you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and just coming back? Do you feel like God's not paying attention or that he doesn't care? maybe about what's going on in your world. I know someone who's prayed for over 30 years that a close friend of hers would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it still hasn't happened yet, but still she hits her knees every day and prays for this person. And she's waiting for God to bring about his salvation at just the right time. She waits not impatiently like me in traffic on Hillsborough Road, but she waits with the hope that God is on his throne and that he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. She waits knowing that God's timing is perfect. She waits knowing that God is in control. And she waits knowing that, that she is not God. We don't understand why God delays things, right? We don't understand those things. I don't understand them, very rarely do I understand why God would allow a pandemic to go on as long as it has. But we do know the words of Isaiah that Rachel mentioned several times in her children's video today. Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine. God speaks to us through the prophet Isaiah and says, "'For my thoughts are not your thoughts.' Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, the gospel has to include the bad news that we are more broken and frail and feeble on our own than we ever dared to imagine. But at the same time, God is infinitely greater and more perfect and more enjoyable and more good than we ever dared to dream and hope. And we are loved and accepted more than we ever could have imagined by him. What good news. The Lord is gently reminding us, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Jude will question me sometimes. I'm like, look, I'm older, I'm smarter than you, at least for a little while, (laughs) longer. I know more than you. I'm still your dad. (laughs) God knows everything. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. And maybe most importantly, he's all good all the time. You know, I love my African-American brothers and sisters in some of their churches. When the pastor gets up to speak, he'll say, God is good. And people will respond all the time. And then he'll say, "And all the time," and they'll say, "God is good." It's a good reminder for these strange times. While we wait for God's timing, let's remember Romans 12:12. 12, 12. "Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. What a great verse for us to memorize. Would you commit to memorizing that verse this week? Let's hide that in our hearts. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer. Take it off the screen, Travis. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let's memorize that this week. Hide that in our hearts. The second way in which God sent his son was in the perfect way. He sent him at the perfect time and in the perfect way. Jesus did not come bursting through the clouds with a billion angels behind him, flaming swords at the ready saying, let's do this. (laughs) That's not how he came. In God's perfect subversive plan, God's only son showed up in the most humble of circumstances. Why? Because that's how our God works. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. God chose what's foolish in the world. He chose what's foolish. He, di- he didn't have to, but he said, watch this. He chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways infinitely. He could have sent his son with the host of heaven accompanying him, and you're proclaiming his glory and praise for all the world to see, but instead he showed up to some shepherds, <laughs> some dirty, smelly, ostracized, marginalized shepherds. He didn't come riding on chariots of fire. He was making a point about humility and servant leadership. And he would be born of a woman born under the law, our Savior would endure everything that you've endured as a human being on this earth. He would experience the full range of human life. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 reminds us we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember, Jesus is our high priest. He's the go-between between us and God. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He's he's endured everything that you've endured. Are you hurting today? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? He's been there. Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you lonely? Jesus has been there. He's, He's endured all of those things and more. Finally, God sent his son, the third purpose, and uh, the third way in which he sent him was for the perfect purpose. He sent him at the perfect time, in the perfect way, and most importantly, he sent him for the perfect purpose. Here's the good news, right? Because God sent his son at the perfect time and in the perfect way, he was able to do something amazing. Through Jesus, for, God forged a way to fix what's wrong with this world, including you and me. Through Jesus, our great high priest, we now become fully adopted, fully grown, fully accepted and loved children of God. He he made a way, God forged a way to save us and to save this world without compromising his perfection or his glory, He didn't have to destroy us or the earth either, which was the other option. Instead, he he sent his only son to bear the wrath that sin deserved in order to take all of our sin and shame upon himself in order to give us his perfect righteousness, just as Martin Luther called that a beautiful exchange. That is good news for those who will hear it. Maybe today you're not ready to hear the good news. Maybe you're too focused on all the bad things that's happened this year. Maybe you're leaning towards bitterness. Maybe you're on the cusp of despair or cynicism. I've been there. It's okay if you're there today. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Maybe you hear this stuff about Jesus taking your sin and you say, that that doesn't really hit me as good news today. I believe with all my heart that the gospel is the kind of news that actually changes things, that actually works things for God's good and for our good at the same time. Embracing the gospel today doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy or easy going forward. I put it in my email, what Scotty Smith said this week, Christmas brings no pressure to be up. The hopes and fears of all the years meet in Jesus, and a weary world rejoices at his coming. Hope doesn't replace fear, it invades it. Rejoicing doesn't replace weariness, it inhabits it. So in the tension of now but not yet, how then shall we wait? Let's wait with the kind of gospel hope that invades our fear. Let's wait with the kind of gospel rejoicing that inhabits our weariness. Let's trust in God's perfect timing and in his perfect plan. Let's pray. Lord our God, We are weary. God, we have endured a lot this year, but you endured so much more. You suffered sham trials. You were beaten and flogged for no reason other than the fact that you were taking our punishment. And you were nailed to a cross and killed. As the breath left your lungs, you offered up your spirit. And you have lived a perfect life on earth, and yet you were killed for us. And then you rose again, God, on the third day, raising Christ, putting air back in his lungs, pushing the blood through his heart once again, so that death would no longer be our enemy. Help us to receive this good news today, that left to our own devices, we're never capable of fulfilling the law. We're never able to, to be good enough for you to accept us, but through Jesus Christ, you've made a way. You sent your only son at just the right time. You sent him in just the perfect way, and you sent him for just the perfect purpose in order to make death work backwards, in order to redeem us and to this, redeem this fallen world in order to restore things as they should be. God, help us to remember that this is not normal, that the tension of this broken world is not what you intended, but you are restoring it through Jesus and you're using us as God's children to be a part of it. God, help us wait well. I pray for those who are in a situation now, God, where the anxiety of waiting is just crushing them. I pray that you would give them grace to wait, knowing that we are weary, yes, but we can rejoice in hope. We can be patient in the midst of tribulation and remind us to be constant in prayer because it is a lifeline to the power that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, through his spirit, which you've imputed to us. God, we love you. We pray all these things in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to move into a time of invitation now. You know, when we planned this series, my prayer was that someone would hear this good news for the first time and receive the gospel into their hearts, that they would choose to build their life on the foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ for the very first time. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you feel the Holy Spirit telling you it's time to accept the free gift of salvation offered to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, there's no better time than to do so right now. If you are here today and you wanna be a part of Woodmont Baptist Church as a member, as part of our family of faith, we as Woodmont are a little family in the big family of God's family. And we want to care for you and and love you and, and help you be discipled as you are not only poured into, but as you pour out into others as well. We wanna give you a place of service and ministry, even in this weird time of COVID-19. Whatever it is that you need to do, maybe you're just feeling in your heart that the the gospel has meant less and less to you over the years. Maybe it's grown stale. Maybe you've grown numb to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't hear it as good news anymore. I invite you just to be honest with God about where you're at right now spiritually as we sing infant holy, infant lowly. What a humble circumstance in which our Savior was born. I'll be down front to receive anyone who wants to come forward uh, during this time, but let's stand together as we sing this hymn of invitation, infant holy, infant lowly.